Good morning. If you brought your Bible, and I trust you did, please turn into it with uh, Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, we will continue in our series on the book of Luke. And uh, we'll see the 12 being sent out all by themselves for the first time here. Imagine that, going out and telling other people about Jesus. Luke 9, begin reading in verse 1. Then he called his 12 disciples together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. He sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And he said to them, take nothing for the journey, neither staffs, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics apiece. Whatever house you enter, stay there and from there depart. And whoever will not receive you when you go out of that city, shake off the very dust from your feet as a testimony against them. So they departed and went through the towns, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Now, Herod the Tetrarch heard of all that was done by him, and he was perplexed because it was said by some that John had risen from the dead, and by some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the old prophets had risen again. Herod said, John, I have beheaded, but who is this of whom I hear such things? So he sought to see him. And the apostles, when they had returned, told him of all that they had done. Then he took them and went aside privately into a deserted place belonging to the city called Bethsaida. We'll stop there. I am going to give you a little break this morning on the outline. We're going to do it the old-fashioned way. It's a five-point outline. They all start with the same letter. You know, preachers always used to do that. So this morning we're going to look at the man, the method, the message, the manner, and the master plan. The problem with doing that in advance is you know how far we are as we go through the message. Oh, we've done three points, only two left. You know. <laughs> Hopefully it won't be like that this morning. I trust that you're here to hear God's word. So let's get right into it. We're going to look at the men to begin with here. It says here in verse 1 that he called the 12. That's his, the main guys, you know them, you know, James and Peter and John and uh, who else did I leave out? Andrew. I haven't got them all memorized. There's 12 of them. A couple of Judases in there. The 12. And uh, he, he gave them power and sent them out. The funny thing is, you know, over the centuries, people, uh, particularly certain churches, have built big statues of these guys. St. Paul's in London. It's got these giant figures of the 12 apostles way up high. You know, you've got to go like this to see them. And, uh, oh, paintings, you know, they always have a funny yellow circle over their head, right? Uh, these guys would uh, shudder to see what's been done with them, you know, over the century. Jesus is the one, they would say, wouldn't they? They're nobodies, common fishermen, a former tax collector. They're sinners, nobodies. They'd be the first to emphasize that. And when you think about it, isn't that amazing? The, the a way God has chosen to reach the world is to use a bunch of nobodies. Isn't that cool? You know, 
it, we would naturally, if we had uh, our way to do it, you know, uh, there'd be a voice from heaven. I am God. Right? Something like that, you know, or some big sign in the heavens. But um, that's not God's way, you see. This way, when he uses just ordinary guys like this and like you and like me, he gets all the glory because it certainly couldn't have been us. That's the idea. And uh, by the way, when they went out, as we're going to talk about, God's power was with them. All right? It's not just them. It's God working through them and through you and me. And so if you think about it, it's been like that forever in the Old Testament. God raised up what were called prophets, just ordinary guys who went out in the streets and, and proclaimed God's word. And, you know, in, in a way, people, uh, they expect great things, you know, impressive people, rich people, powerful people, not ordinary folks. But that's the way God chooses to do it again so he can get all the glory. And so, not surprisingly, it was prophets in the Old Testament, the disciples here, and today, it's Jesus' disciples. And you know who that is? If you know Jesus Christ, that's you. It's us. No wonder um, in 2 Corinthians it says that uh, we're earthen vessels. That's a good, earthen vessels, you know, just we're just pots of clay, but with a treasure inside. We're going to talk about that in a minute. Okay. Second, his, uh, God's chosen way, his, the method is, one word here in verse 6 says, they departed and went through the towns preaching. Preaching. Now, right now, I'm preaching. It's God's appointed way. I'm one to many. Okay. In uh, networking, you call that a broadcast. Single source, many recipients. Okay, but one on one, if you're talking to someone about Jesus, that's preaching. Hopefully it's not preaching in the sense of, you know, one way you're doing all the talking when you're sharing with someone. But in a situation like this, uh, I'm sorry, I'm doing all the talking this morning. You do the listening. Okay, talking, speaking, that's God's chosen uh, method. Listen to the way he says it in first Corinthians. Listen to the emphasis on simply telling others. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. Isn't that cool? God is so cool. For Jews request a sign and Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness. But... To those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. And that's the way it's, it's been since Christ was resurrected. 
speaking, preaching the message. Now, we're going to get into the message that they had in a little bit, and it's different from the message that we have, but because um, it had to do with the kingdom of God coming and so on. Well, we'll talk about that. They had a message to tell. Think about it, brothers and sisters. We have a far greater message to tell. You realize that? I think sometimes we lose sight of that. Hello? You know, we only have the secret to life, you know, how to know God, how to know you're going to go to heaven, what's going to happen to you in eternity. How's that? Is that pretty good? You get excited about that sometimes? Man. We uh, play a little board game at home sometimes where uh, you're going through this house looking for a treasure. And uh, it's represented by these little, they look like little treasure chests. They're about that big, made out of plastic. And before the game starts, you have two little flat cardboard pieces that they're painted with all these jewels and, you know, like the typical pirate treasure chest, right? And you put it in two of them. In the other ten, you have this thing that's painted. It's got cobwebs on it. You understand? So you stuff ten of them with cobwebs and, and two of them with these, you know, treasures and you mix them all up and you put them in the rooms and you go around and the first one to find a treasure wins uh, it said we have this treasure in second Corinthians. we have this treasure in earthen vessels that's the word god uses to talk about the gospel of jesus christ it's a treasure you ever think about it that way except this is not one that's supposed to be hidden or buried this is one that we should be sharing, okay? Don't hoard it. Everybody knows about the big mega lottery. Who doesn't know about the mega lottery? Yeah, I didn't think so. I won't ask how many bought tickets. But um, over a half a billion dollars, wasn't it? Isn't that right? I was thinking, imagine a game show. Um, I haven't seen a game show in ages, but I remember when I was younger, there was a thing where uh, the person was offered, like the, the guy would have a box, holding a box, and he'd say, you can have what's in the box, or you can have what's behind the curtain. Is that right? Is that still around? Yeah. It is? Yeah, 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 okay. And the audience says, take the box, take the box, right? Or choose the curtain, choose the curtain. And the problem is, what? The contestant doesn't know what's in either one. Isn't that correct? You know, and so, of course, they draw it way out, right? They take forever, you know, right? During the selection time, you know, and the tension builds. And then they open the box and there's a dead rat inside or something. You know? <laughs> now, I want you to think about this. Imagine having a show like that. And uh, let's say I were to say... You can, I can give you, there were, I guess there were three winners on the mega lottery, isn't that right? They had to split it three ways. Yeah? So imagine there's one, just, just for sake of argument. So I got, let's say I have right now in my hand the winning lottery ticket. And I were to say to you, you come up here, I'll just hand you, this, is, this ticket is yours. Half a billion dollars right here. Or... Right now, I can tell you how to have eternal life through Jesus Christ. Heaven with God forever. Forgiveness of sins. What would you pick? 
What do you think most people would pick? Yeah, yeah. You know, it's, it's really uh, crazy. It happens all the time in church, among acquaintances, in homes, on the street. Someone tells someone else about Jesus Christ and that they can know right now that they're going to go to be with him forever in heaven. And they say, eh, not right now. No, I'm not really interested. Right? Happens all the time. Right now, this Lord's Day, all over the world, this offer is being made to tens of millions of people. And the vast majority of them are saying, nah, not for me. It's incredible. There's no comparison between those two. Where are you in that? Every once in a while, though, praise God, God breaks through and someone recognizes the treasure and they reach out and take it. Okay, we've, we've kind of introduced the subject. The third item is the message. Now, I want you to understand, first of all, since we're studying the Bible verse by verse, what it means here, what the message was that the 12 took. It's a little different now from what we preach. Uh, first of all, verse 2. It says he sent them to preach the kingdom of God. Okay? Verse 6. So they departed and went to the towns preaching the gospel. Now, when it says the gospel, it's not talking about the cross. You understand that, brothers and sisters? Jesus hadn't died yet. Okay? And the word simply means good news. So let's get that clear, first of all. When it says gospel, it simply means good news of some kind. So they're preaching the kingdom of God. They're preaching good news. And elsewhere... Uh, in Mark, for example, it says they went out preaching repentance. Whoa. Are you confused? They're preaching three things, the gospel, the kingdom of God, and repentance. Well, it makes sense when you understand what their message is. Okay? Remember, literally for hundreds of years, God has been promising this nation, Israel, that something great was going to happen someday, a descendant of David was going to come to them and he was going to rule on a throne over the entire earth and Israel would be at the head of the nations. It would be a time of prosperity, a blessing. I wish we could look at all the scriptures in the Old Testament describing that time when the Messiah would come and reign. There would be peace on the earth. Can you imagine that? I mean real peace. Uh, The blessings of God... Wonderful phrase that says, um, the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Isn't that great? It says, um, no man will have to say to his neighbor, know the Lord. Why not? Because they shall all know me, he says, from the least of them to the greatest of them. And uh, one of my favorites, I've quoted many times in Zechariah, says that even the bells on the harnesses of the horses will be inscribed holiness to the Lord. Isn't that cool? Uh, You know many of the passages. The lion will lay down with the lamb. Violence is going to be a thing of the past. Uh, A little child will be playing and there will be a 
He, God says an adder's den, you know, a, a hole in the ground where a viper lives. And he can put his hand on it without fear because he's not going to get bitten. A time like the world has never seen when Jesus will rule. Well, they didn't know it was Jesus. And uh, they just knew someone was going to come. And they really, oh, well, let me put it this way. Some of them really looked forward to it. They were waiting eagerly. We saw a couple examples already in Luke. Remember um, uh, uh, Simeon in the very beginning of the book. Listen to what it said about him. This is the kind of person God really wanted among the nation. He was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, like that were the comfort of Israel. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And this wonderful old man, when he saw uh, the baby Jesus in the, in the temple, he took him up in his arms and, and prayed. And I love it. He said, Lord, now I can die. Now, Lord, let us thou thy servant depart in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation. I'm ready to die. That's all I want. Isn't that great? And there were many Jews like him. Anna says she served God with fastings and prayers night and day in the temple. And the instant she saw the baby Jesus, says she gave thanks to the Lord. And listen, she spoke of him to all those who looked for redemption in Israel. You understand? She didn't tell everybody because there were a lot of people that didn't care. We're going to talk about that. But there were some like her and like Simeon who were waiting so and longing for the day when God would rule in their midst again. And there would be peace and they would return to the Lord as a nation. And so there was this longing among many of them, a fervent hope and and a desire to see that day when this one, this promised one would come. You, You getting the idea? Now, if you understand that, they're, they're going out now, this, this, uh, the 12, and they're saying, it's about to happen. What's the word they use? The kingdom of God is near. That's the way they said it. Okay? In other words, it hadn't started quite yet, but we're getting really close, folks. And they can say that. Why? Because the king is here. It's Jesus. He is here at last among them. And they're excited. By the way, they're thinking that that's any time now. Jesus is going to take the throne and all these wonderful things are going to come into being. So that's the good news. Okay, the kingdom of God, the good news. Elsewhere, it says that Jesus preached the good news, the gospel of the kingdom of God. That's what it means. Now, maybe you can understand why they also preached repentance. Imagine that day was about to let's say tomorrow. That it was going to happen right here in your life. God is going to be in our midst, ruling the world. You think maybe we should get ready? Yeah. You know, maybe I better get my act together. You know, I know some things in my life that I need to take care of to get ready when God comes. So it... It all fits, you see. They preached repentance. They preached the kingdom of God. And it was good news. And, and bless their hearts, there were many Jews who responded, as you know. John the Baptist preached repentance. And, and when they heard that the kingdom of God was near, it, it hit them in the hearts. They knew their lives. There were new things. They knew there were things they had to take care of. And they came forward 
But just like anything, everybody wasn't like Anna in Simeon. Uh, there were many who just saw this coming uh, Christ as a political leader. Let's get rid of those Romans, man. The only good Roman is a dead Roman. And when he comes, we're going to overthrow their yoke. And we're going to be the big guy on the block. Zealots, are, you read about them in the Bible. Nationalists, really strong, you know, Israel's going to be great again. Uh, those in power, it's very interesting among the Jews, most of them were troubled. Isn't that interesting? Do you know why? Because they looked upon the Messiah as a threat. Who's the first one we read about? Herod the Great, right? When he heard about uh, the king of the Jews being born somewhere, what does it say? It said he was troubled in his heart. He should have been excited. Praise the Lord at last. He was troubled because he's a king and the Messiah is king. So who's going to be king, me or him? <laughs> I want it to be me. So I want you to go out and kill all the infants under two years old in Bethlehem. And he was typical. We know who are the main opponents in Jesus, of Jesus in the Gospels? The religious leaders. He's, he's cutting in on their turf and they don't like it. Too many people looked upon Jesus as a rival. Now, uh, before you get too self-righteous in this and say, all oh, those dirty, rotten guys, how could they be like that? You know, he's like people, ordinary people. I don't want this man to reign over me. You know, today, right? They look upon Jesus as a rival. I'm number one in my life. I want to be on the throne. And don't talk to me about Jesus being Lord of my life. I want nothing to do with this guy. They fear him. They resent him. And that's the way many, many of the Jews were, not just the leaders, but many ordinary people. So to them, it wasn't good news. It was like, man, put it off as long as possible. You know. But as I said, there were some who were receptive and realized their need to get ready, and they repented. Okay. Um, by the way, uh, people, uh, when they read this, you know, they say, wait a minute. Was this a legitimate offer of the kingdom at that time by Jesus? Come on. If he was really offering uh, the kingdom of God, then he wouldn't have gone to the cross. And how could we be saved? Was it a legitimate offer? Yes, it was. Well, you say, well, wait a minute. How's that work? Asking the question, uh, what, it, what would have happened if the Jews had received Jesus is like saying, what would have happened if Jesus had not died on the cross? You're not God and I'm not God. You understand? God knew ahead of time. He can see the end from the beginning. And he knew that his son was going to be rejected. Praise God. And so he decided to let that happen. We talked about this last week. And at the lowest point of humankind, when the Jews were spitting on Jesus and driving nails through his hands and feet... God said, I love you. I love you so much. I'm going to give your sins to him and he's going to die for them. At that moment. You follow me? That's God's plan. And so he didn't make them crucify Christ any more than he made them reject him. They chose to do that and God let them. 
And out of it, because they rejected Christ and crucified him, and because God put all of our sins on him, not just the Jews, praise God. Now we have something that's better than the mega lottery. Heaven is open. Okay? We talked about this last week. Listen, God, you're not a robot. You have a free will. Let's make that clear. But God can't help it. He knows what's going to happen before it happens. Don't blame him, okay? And so he permits evil. By the way, he doesn't permit all of it. He stops a lot of it. That's scriptural. We know that. The restrainer, he's called in 2 Thessalonians. He literally, by his spirit, holds back evil. You don't do all the rotten things you, you'd, you'd uh, like to do. Nobody does. God holds a lot of it back. But he permits enough of it so that he still achieves his ends. And his end at this point was going to be his own son dying for our sins and being raised from the dead. Okay, so yeah, it was a legitimate offer. But they said, no, we're not interested. We don't want this guy. But God had planned on that. And so as a result, where you're sitting right now today, this same Jesus can be your Savior and Lord. Okay, four, the fourth point, their manner. Talked about uh, the men, their uh, method and their message. Now we'll talk about their manner. First of all, verse 1, it says, He called His 12 disciples together and gave them power and authority. They went out with the power of God. That's the first thing. Power over demons, they could heal. Why? It was confirmation of the message you know, it's a good thing, right? They go out and they say, the kingdom of God is at hand. Are you going to believe them? How about if they start touching guys who have been blind from birth and all of a sudden they start seeing? Or people that have been paralytics for 10 years and they all of a sudden get up and take their bed and walk because in the name of Jesus they told them to do so. Maybe you might believe them then. Huh? It helps, doesn't it? It confirmed the message. And, of course, the ultimate sign or proof was the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ from the dead. That confirmed it. Today, now I know, you know, we'd like to say, oh, it'd be so nice, you know, if um, I don't have to just uh, believe, but if I could have a sign from God to help me. Would it be nice if... Everybody here could have their own personal uh, guy who comes back from the dead. You know, says, I've been there. Let me tell you, it's real. Whether it's from hell, you know, or from heaven. Wouldn't that be nice? Listen, somebody else already had that idea. It's in the Bible. Jesus tells us about it. He was a very rich man. And uh, he had no interest in the uh, problems of other people. So there was a, it's funny, we don't know the rich guy's name, but we know the poor man's name. The poor man's name is Lazarus. And, and this poor guy, Lazarus, they had to literally bring him in, carry him in and set him uh, at his gate. And poor Lazarus sat there begging all the time. And, and the rich guy ignored him. You know, you know the story. And God tells us that, by the way, this is not a parable. This is true. Jesus never says, let me tell you a parable. This is real. 
The rich guy died and went to hell. And Lazarus died and went to heaven. And the rich guy's in hell. He's in torment. And he pleads, please, have someone go back from the dead to warn my brothers that are still alive that this place is real. You think that'd do it, right? You know what he was told? First, he's told no, and he doesn't take that for an answer. He says, no, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. Listen to the answer. If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, what's that? It's this. It's the Bible where God has spoken, had it written down permanently. You've got it in your hands right now. If they don't hear that, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. Now, God's saying that. And he's right. Signs are not going to get you into heaven. Signs are not going to make you see your sin and want to seek a savior. You see. And that's what it takes. God knows what he's talking about. Remember, wasn't it interesting last week uh, when we saw uh, in Capernaum the two healings? Remember, we talked about that. And the week before, across the Sea of Galilee, where Jesus had never been, he healed the man Legion. And when Legion was healed, remember what he said? Go out and tell everybody the wonderful things God has done for you. Remember that? And he did. Great evangelists went out. Comes back to Capernaum where he'd already performed tons of miracles. Raises a girl from the dead. It says, don't tell anybody. The reason being, they are already glutted with miracles. It wasn't miracles they needed. They needed to turn from their sin to him. And later, as we said, it reserves his harshest judgment for the city of Capernaum. Because they saw so much and they did nothing about it. This is it. If you don't know the Lord and uh, you're saying, well, you know, I need a little more than just some writing in a book. No, you don't. Because God said you don't. He said this should be enough right now. God says, I have spoken. Now it's up to you to believe me when I speak. It's called faith. And by the way, it's not a blind, you know, leap in the dark. Okay, here it is right here. It's written down. All right? It's not a blind leap of faith. It's believing rooted solidly in this book. I love the way Paul put it. Paul says, I know who I have believed. And I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed to him against that day. Are you like that this morning? You know who you believe, and you're convinced he's going to take care of you when it comes to that time. That's it. I like the way John uh, ended his 20th chapter of his uh, gospel. He says this, And truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples. He's talking about the miracles. And listen to what he says, Which are not written in this book, but these are... Written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. You understand what he's saying? He's saying the signs are written down now. You don't have to see them. God's recorded them for you. These are written 
that you may believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that believing you may have life through his name. That's it. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Isn't that cool? You know, of all the ways God could have chosen for us to come to be with him, I can't think of anything easier than just believing him at his word. Huh? You don't have to go up St. Peter's Cathedral on your knees until they bleed. And even then, you know, is that enough? Probably need to do more and more. No, it, Jesus did it all. You just, you just believe that. You just trust in that. So he ends that section. Faith comes by hearing. Remember what we're talking about here this morning, the, 70, the 12 going out and speaking. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Is that enough for you? Amen. <clears throat> the power today, although, look, God still performs miracles. God can do whatever he wants, and he does, okay? But that's not his preferred way in seeing someone come to him. The power today is in the message itself. Do you realize that? I've seen it over and over again. The message of the cross is enough to crack a heart right in two. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ because it is the power of God to salvation to everybody who believes it. That's power. I was going to hell before I believed the gospel. I believe the gospel. I'm going to heaven now. Around this time, April 1972. Second uh, point in their manner is they went out in complete dependence on God. We saw that here. No provisions, not even an extra tunic. I don't know. Do you have a tunic? <laughs> I don't think I do. So we use a coat. You know, that's what he means. No extra outer covering. Nothing extra. Again, you see, so that when they go out and speak this message, and they have to stay in a home and be fed and, and uh, bedded down, completely dependent on God, nothing's going to distract from the message. It's all of God. God's even taking care of the messengers as they go out, you see. That's the idea. And so today, we need to be completely dependent on him when we speak, when we preach. Third, <clears throat> uh, they have to be willing to accept no for an answer. Do you know that? Do you know you can tell God no and he'll say, okay. That's incredible. He'll let you say no. Imagine saying no to God. That's what Jesus told them. He said, if they don't want you, fine, leave. Shake, shake the dust off your sandals. As a testimony against them, he says. You see it over and over in, uh, in Scripture. You remember the rich young ruler that came running up. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Boy, I'll tell you, wouldn't that be great to have somebody like that to witness to? You know? What do I have to do to... Uh, you know, he doesn't say saved. Inherit eternal life. Jesus tells him. Oh, I've done all that. What next? Anything left? Jesus says, oh, just one thing. Just one. Go sell everything you have and come follow me. Remember, he's the rich young ruler. 
There would not have been a happier man in Scripture if he'd done exactly what Jesus did. You realize that? If he'd gone and sold everything and followed Jesus, what a happy man he would have been. But it says he went away sad because he had much goods. And Jesus let him go. Jesus didn't say, wait a minute, I didn't mean it. Well, hold it a second. Let's have a compromise. Sell half. No. Jesus let him choose unwisely. Paul at Athens in the book of Acts. It's interesting there. Sounds like uh, they're interested. He preaches a sermon and they say, uh, we will hear you more on this matter. You know, come back tomorrow. We kind of like talking about this. You ever had anybody like that? Talk, talk, talk. They love to talk about it. They're so wonderful. They'll listen about Jesus all day. But they won't do anything about it. And what does it say? Paul left. He went someplace else. He knew they weren't interested. By the way, if you're wondering, when we read it this morning, what's Herod doing in here? What, what's this bit about Herod? You notice that? Kind of, you know, it's kind of like stuck in there. This, this is where he fits, you see. He's that kind of a guy. Do you notice that? Sounds like he's a seeker. What does it say in verse 9? Herod said, John, I have beheaded, but who is this of whom I hear such things? Talking about Jesus. So he sought. He's a seeker. Right? To see him. Jesus. I'd like like to meet this guy. I want to know more about him. Sounds good. No, he's stuck in here, I believe, as a warning. Because we find more about him uh, later in the book of Luke. In fact, it's when Jesus has been arrested and he's been taken to Pilate. Pilate's not which is sure not uh, is not sure what to do with him, and he knows that Herod is the local uh, king here, the tetrarch, as it says, rule over four uh, provinces, and so Pilate is it so common, you know, send him off to Herod, get him out of here, you know. And so Herod, the seeker, he gets Jesus. Now, I want you to listen to what happens. This is a warning. It says, then he, that is Herod, questioned him, Jesus, with many words. wonder what he asked him. What kind of questions do you think he asked? Wouldn't that have been interesting to be a fly on the wall there? Herod, he's been seeking him for a couple of years here. Finally, he's got him. It says he questioned him with many words. But, listen, Jesus answered him nothing. Jesus didn't tell him one word. It's kind of rude, isn't it? No, Jesus knew his heart. He wasn't seeking the truth. In fact, we're told he wanted to see Jesus do a magic trick. That was all he was interested in. God does not accommodate uh, that kind of an attitude, you know. He doesn't like it. He that comes to God must, number one, believe that he is, and secondly, must believe that he is a rewarder of them who diligently seek him. 
You know why most people are going to go to hell? Simply because they're not diligent about their own soul salvation. People get excited and diligent about so many things in life. So preoccupied with so many things. And they put so much effort into them. And when it comes to their own soul, Jesus said it. They could have the whole world. But they're going to lose their souls. Lack, lack of interest, neglect, laziness. That's incredible. So God will take no if you tell him that. Imagine Herod right now in Hades awaiting judgment. Imagine that moment when Herod is going to be in that scene described in Revelation 20. <laughs> the roles are going to be reversed. Jesus is going to be on the throne. And Herod is going to be down there among the small and the great. When it says small and great, it means that's what they were here on this earth. They're, they're, they're all nobodies before the throne of Jesus. And wishing that he had diligently sought him, but it's going to be too late. Okay, uh, number four, the master's uh, plan. This is number five, excuse me, the last one. Jesus is actually doing something else here besides just sending out these 12 guys to go preaching. He's actually training them. Okay? And this is the master's plan. He's training men to, later it's going to say about uh, Paul and Silas, and obviously talking about the Christians in general, they're turning the world upside down. That's what the people at that time said about the Christians. It says they're turning the world upside down. Now, did you know they meant that as a slur, as a criticism? Do you realize that? Because what they meant was, here are all these nobodies going out and people's lives are being changed. Societies are being upset. Silversmiths are being put out of business because they can't make idols anymore. It's terrible. Who are these guys? You understand? We're having book burnings of occult books. They're being burned up. People aren't worshiping Caesar anymore. They're worshiping this Jesus. It's crazy. That's what Jesus is doing. He's training men to turn the world upside down. And he's still doing it. Okay? Men and women and young people and old people like me to turn the world upside down. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world, nobodies, like you and like me, to put to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty, and the base things of the world and the things which are despised God has chosen, and the things which are not, to bring to nothing the things that are that no flesh should glory in his presence. But Jesus didn't end with just the 12. His vision is a lot longer than just these 12 guys. Okay, He trained them so that they can go out and preach and see people saved and raised up, and they would train them, and then they would send somebody out. Who can you point to in your life who was most influential in you coming to Jesus Christ? Was there a person? 
A man, a woman. I see a lot of heads nodding. You know who it was? What if they hadn't done that? What if they hadn't gone out of their way? You know? Um, my daughter's been uh, doing a little research on genealogy for the family. I, told, I already told you about one guy we found back in the 1700s. Bellis Felt was his name, his last name. So the name was a little different. It's changed over the years, 1700s. And uh, apparently the, his claim to fame was he lost several pounds to George Washington in a card game one night. That's better than your ancestor, I bet. <laughs> and recently, uh, we found out about um, one of my grandfathers. Grandfather died. I, I don't know about this part of my family because I have lost touch with my mother uh, since I was five. So I knew, and I haven't been able to locate her or any of that side of my ancestry. But Amy found out about my grandfather, and uh, he lost a leg at Below Wood in World War One. Very famous battle. There's a carrier named after him. He was a Marine. Uh, it's where really the Marines trace their, their beginning is to below wood in France. You ever thought, if you're a believer, you ever thought, what's, what's my spiritual genealogy? Wouldn't that be cool to go back, you know, the, the, the person that led me to the Lord and who led them to the Lord, all the way back to Jesus? Wouldn't that be interesting? You know? They don't have records like that, so I'm sorry. Okay. Maybe we'll find out. I don't know. And <clears throat> I was thinking about it, you know, we'd say, oh, man, 2,000 years. That, that's a long time, you know. If you think about it, look, at the very maximum, uh, let's say 20 years per generation. That's, that's what you typically use in uh, physical generations, right? You realize that's only 100 people. That's not very many. And if uh, the, the wonderful uh, act of salvation happened when, when the people were like on the average 40 years old, that's only 50 people. Only 50. Back to Jesus. That's not very many, is it? But praise God that whoever it was way back when, they shared the gospel, they raised the person up, they trained them. And they went out and shared and trained them. Jesus started it right here with these 12 nobodies. And it ended up with you. Now, I don't know what your spiritual genealogy is, but um, I praise God that he's kept the line of preachers going to me. What about your line? How about you? If you, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ... Who's next in your line of genealogy, or is the line going to end with you? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, how we praise you this morning for your great vision of reaching the world. Thank you that you use just ordinary folks like us. Lord, we would be unqualified if we had to be rich or noble or mighty or any of those other things but we're just ordinary sinners. And thank you, Lord, that that's the way you do it. We recognize that though we are earthen vessels, we have a wonderful treasure inside. Lord, may we not bury it 
May we not hide it. Oh, Lord, may we be fruitful for you. May we bring out that treasure and share it with others. Lord, help us by your grace to see the line of preachers going on after us. We ask it in your own precious name. Amen.